The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Glad that you guys are here. Welcome to those of you if it's your first time here and others joining online. We're glad that you are here and I'm sure we had some traveling on vacation and hopefully uh, they're joining online as well and not just playing hooky, right? So if you are new to the church um, and <clears throat> you're looking for some connection, maybe, maybe you're not brand new, maybe you've been around for a little while, um, I would just encourage you to um, talk to me or Shay right after service, okay? We've got some opportunities uh, for you to plug in a little bit deeper, and some of you are ready to do that, and so we'd love to visit with you about that after service. You can talk to the other staff members as well, but... Uh, just just by way of getting together with some other families, helping you get connected. We want to see you do that. And so we're, we're glad to be able to uh, follow what the Lord is doing and how he's leading us out uh, in something new here at the church. So getting into the word, man, we started this series last week called Numa, which is um, one of the words that the, the scripture uses in the Greek to describe the Holy Spirit. There's another one called the uh, paracleti, and that means comforter. And there's a few different words that describe um, the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is important for us to understand. When we think in terms of spirit and the Holy Spirit, we we kind of are. I think I think culture and things as that we've experienced in our life has really heavily influenced us in a way that we might not be thinking about it correctly as believers. And what do I mean by that? Well, we might say um, about a person, I sensed your spirit when you were getting close. And, you, and then you showed up, and I sensed your spirit. And so we, we kind of see um, the, the spirit of a person a little bit differently then I think, and, and, and so we think of God, and we kind of transpose that onto God. I sense the Spirit of God, and so here's God, and here's His Spirit. We think of Jesus, we think of, well, here's Jesus, and Jesus walked on the planet, and we say, man, Jesus was God. So we have God the Father, there's this doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God um, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we look and we interact with most of the Old Testament, we see God for the most part as God the Father. Um, and he is like the dominant um, character or um, portrayal of God in the Old Testament. And he's interacting. Sometimes he takes on um, flesh, meets with Abraham. We see different things like that. Sometimes he takes on a form like with Moses, the burning bush, but it's generally we see that's God the Father, and he's, he's telling Moses, you can't look at me. Like and Moses wants to see God the Father on Mount Sinai, and, and he says, no, because if you saw me in all my glory, you, couldn't, you wouldn't even live. You couldn't survive. And so he lets him, he, he passes by, and he lets him see him departing. And so that's God the Father. Then we get to the New Testament, we see God the Son. And we do see God the Son in the Old Testament sometimes. These are known as Christophanies, that, that Jesus would take on, God the Son would take on a, a, uh, the flesh and he would interact, and, and Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. 
But when we get to the Gospels and his arrival and the virgin birth and all that is going on around Jesus, we see God the Son and we see him. We're interacting with, people are interacting with him, and he has, there is a historical record that he existed, Jesus. <clears throat> but when we get past Jesus' death and his resurrection, and then we see God the Spirit. And Jesus says, it's, it's expedient that I go away. I'm going to send the paracleti. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity. And so... If we think in terms of, I'm going to be careful here not to confuse you, but, but I think this is helpful for us to understand. If we think in terms of the Holy Spirit, like, well, he's, it's the Spirit of God kind of moving. No, it's God. Like, the Holy Spirit is God. It's not like the Spirit of God. It is God in spiritual form that indwells the believer. Just like Jesus was God in physical form and God fully enveloped uh, who Christ was and and he was fully God and fully man. And just like God the Father, we see him in the Old Testament. So when we're learning about the pneuma, you know, it's, it's interesting. When you're praying, what I mean is like, Whole, like you can speak to the Holy Spirit just like you would speak to Jesus, just like you would speak to God. They're one in the same. They're three dis- distinct personalities of the Godhead. And right now we're living during a time of the church age and the movement of the Holy Spirit is functioning on the planet. So when people say the Spirit of God, not everybody means the same thing. Not, not everybody says, well, I'm, I, I'm into spiritual things. Well, you could be into spiritual things and not be following God, and they truly indeed are spiritual things. There's a whole unseen realm out there that we interact with, and not all um, that even appears to be good in its spiritual sense is godly. Like Jesus, like the word even says that even the devil himself at times will present himself as an angel of light. And so when we're talking about spiritual things, they need to be rooted in truth. And so how do we root things in truth? Because the word, the, the, the word spirit itself can be a very subjective term. You think one thing for spirit, I think another thing for spirit. Somebody else thinks, you know, another thing. I get in touch with the spirits. Okay, so it's got to be rooted in truth. So where are we going to get the truth? Am I going to be the one that's originator of truth or are you? Well, I'm going to go to the same place that I learned about Jesus, the word, right? Because the word is alive and active and the Holy Spirit even guides in the midst of the word to help us to understand what it is teaching. And so we always want to root when we're thinking in spiritual terms We want to root it in the word or else we could be easily swayed and following some demonic doctrine and not even realize it. And it, like you don't have to be involved in evil things. When we say you're involved in something evil, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be putting on a black uh, cloth and lighting candles and getting in touch with some kind of evil spirit. Like there, it could, it could mask itself in all kinds of different um, ways. And so what we want to do is we want to be people of truth and we like there is a spiritual world. 
And all, some of that spiritual world is fallen. And it's, it's, it, 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 it manipulates people. These evil spirits manipulate people. And sometimes I think cause them to think that they are doing good and they're doing the right things and they're connecting with God, but they have no truth in their lives, just their own truth. And that's why the world is so mixed up, by the way. Everybody's making up their own truth, making up their own truth so much so they, they don't even know, you know what sex they are. And again, I'm not trying to get up on a soapbox and be political. That's just absurd. It's absurd because the world is upside down. And, and, so, and, and the reason we've landed here is because everyone is making up their own truth. And, and you don't have a right to tell me what my truth should be. Well, I'm not trying to tell anybody what the, their truth should be. What I'm trying to do is land on truth, okay? And so I'm relying on the word, something that's been around for thousands of years, that's telling a story of how God is interacting with humanity it tells a story of man and humanity's brokenness. It tells a story of God's love, that he comes to heal us. It has all of these prophecies that end up getting fulfilled that can help me to know and have confidence in my faith that I'm not just saying, hey, I'm going to jump on this and, and this seems like a good faith. No, man, there's evidence here. Like, I don't want something that helps me out a little. When we're talking about I'm going to sell my life into something, I want to know that what I'm selling my life and selling out to in, in, in such a way that I'm fully committed that I can put my hands to the plow and not look back and go, no, there's no better explanation for my existence than, than the one that I've chosen. And I believe that's what Christianity is, is the best explanation for humanity's existence. And so when we talk about the pneuma we talk about God speaking to us. This is vitally important we understand what's going on. Is there's only one way God speaks to us. And the voice is a powerful thing. I mean, you stop and think about a voice. Many of you listen to my voice on a weekly basis, and I thank you for obliging me and saying, hey, I want to be in this church and listen to this guy teach the word. And you could hear my voice, and you would probably recognize it, even if you didn't see me talking. My dad's voice, my dad, is, he died in 2010. I, I mean, I, can just, I just know his voice. Um, it's just so clear to me, and I miss that voice. My kids know my voice, and I got different cadences of voices. They know my voice when it means, you better get downstairs right now. They know my voice when, hey, I could probably push back and debate with dad a little bit here. And they know my voice when I better shut my mouth and listen to everything he's saying right now. So I got all these, they know my voice when I'm compassionate. They know my voice. Why do they know my voice? Because I speak to them and they are familiar with my voice. They've heard my voice. They've, they, they know what it is to walk with me. And so they are accustomed to hearing and being very familiar with my voice. And when it comes to the pneuma, there is a familiarity. Like, just like my kids know my voice, like when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God, it is familiar to me. But it's familiar to others as well. And it sounds strange, but it shouldn't sound strange to us to say you can hear the voice of God. Like I hear the voice of God and you can hear the voice of God. 
Jesus taught a lot about this, okay? So, so when we go to understanding, well, what does this mean to be able to hear the voice of God and to make sure that I'm not hearing some other voice that's trying to convince me that it's God that is actually leading me away from truth? Well, Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. Watch, this is really important. Here's some important truth. I tell you the truth... Whoever hears my word, so he's connecting it to the words that he's speaking. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, that believe that I came, that God the Father, whoever believes in him that sent me, has what? Eternal life. So this is very important. He, Jesus is saying, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he doesn't say we'll have eternal life. He has it. As soon as you become a believer and you're transformed by the power of the Spirit, you have eternal life. We think in terms of, well, when I die, I have eternal life. No, I'm living eternal life right now. It just gets elevated. And so Jesus doesn't say when you die, you'll have eternal life. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has, watch this, crossed over from death to life. So Jesus is saying that there's a point in which you cross over that you're dead and you come alive. Paul says to us in um, his epistles that, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We have trespassed against God. We remain dead in our sin unless, like Jesus is saying here, you cross over from death to life. Okay, and then he says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming. Now, that's what confuses us about eternal life because he says a time is coming. It's off in the future, but he also says, and now has come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's saying, a time is coming, and a time has come. When the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So the time is coming. What does that mean? There's a time coming in the future when Jesus returns back to the planet, and what is going to happen is going to be on the return of Christ at the final consummation of the age, we will see, I believe, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Boom. Because we're at the end now. And all of the age of grace is closed. We are at the time of judgment, and we are going to be ushered into eternity. Time will be no more. And so he's saying, a time is coming when all those who are dead will come to life. But he also says, it has now come. And so it comes right now to the believer, and when we are transformed by the power of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, indwells me, I've crossed from death to life. I'm no longer a dead man, I am alive spiritually. Before that happens, I am dead. So now I possess spiritual life when I cross over. And I'm raised anew in Christ. So that when I die, I go to be with the Lord in paradise like the thief on the cross. And my body goes into the ground. 
But when Jesus returns in the future, and we see the Godhead in all of its power, all of his power and all of his glory, then my body will be raised to life to reunite with my eternal life, and I will live for eternity. So this is what it means. We can't just compartmentalize and say eternal life is about then and there. It's also about here and now. And the people who will be then and there is know how to, is the, are the ones who know how to live eternally, eternally here and now. That's what this whole Holy Spirit thing indwelling the believer is about. And you can look at this when God the Father in the Old Testament was revealing himself to humanity, where his presence was where? In the Ark of the Covenant. It was behind the most holy place, and nobody could go back there besides the high priest and only once a year. And so wherever that ark went, they would move in, and they would conquer new territory that was promised to them. You say, well, I don't know how you could trust the Bible. That's how Israel became a nation. I don't know how you could deny the Bible. (laughs) Like a person who struggles with that, I'm like blown away. It takes more faith to to, to not believe the Bible than it does to believe the Bible. Because historically, we could look and we go, man, this, this is the whole way that the nation of Israel became a nation. As God promised them some land, the Ark of the Covenant, he, would, he came and his presence was existed, existed in it. And he would, whenever he would have them move, the fire would ascend from it and they would move. And it was a miraculous event, but it was only for the Israelites. The rest of the world were, was not experiencing this. What they were doing is witnessing how God was moving through the nation of Israel when they walked in obedience and God gave them all of this land. And so when we get to the New Testament, Jesus, like the, the veil of the temple upon his crucifixion was written too. This big giant curtain was torn in two and an earthquake happened. And you can read other historical documents that say this, this earthquake happened at the time of the crucifixion of Christ. You don't have to rely only on the Bible and what the Gospels say. And so when this happened, what is going on there? Well, behind that, that veil of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant, which rec- represented God the Father's presence here on the planet. And God was no longer in there. His glory had already departed, but the message was clear that that God had left the temple. And Jesus said that you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. God wasn't in the ark when Jesus was on the planet. God was in Jesus, okay? And then he says, you will become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I as believers become arks of the covenant. And the Spirit of God now is in us individually, This is why Jesus taught in the Gospels that you will do greater works than I is because now the presence and spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is in us and we are moving about on the planet and we are accomplishing the mission of God. And so like that, that, that ark was, man, they told him, wrap that thing in gold. It is extremely valuable. And so when you become a believer, that's, that's like a picture of what, what God is doing in your life. Like you are, you are valuable to God. And so now we see that um, the spirit of God lives in us and we are transformed um, by that, by the Holy Spirit, and we are walking as new beings, and we become alive. And so Jesus is saying that his voice speaks to the spiritually dead, 
and they live. Now, I was preaching on a particular point there, and I forgot totally what it was. I was trying to make a point. I'm not sure if I made it or not. Did I? Are you even listening, man? You made some good points. Some good points. Did I make the point I wanted to make? I think you did. Keep talking. Okay. You go downstairs and help the kids. You can stay up here. Okay. All right. So we're, we're caught up. All right, so, so here's where, like, the Spirit of God, now, when we are, we are like, transformed by the Spirit, then we, we have spiritual life, okay? So, like, <laughs> they, we live because of the zoe of God. What is the zoe? That is spiritual life. And, and not everybody has it, okay? It, it's something that is put in us. And all of a sudden, when it's put in us, we have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. We have a mind that thinks like Christ. Now, this is fascinating. The Lord showed me this. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 29, I'd never seen this before. Read it, probably read it a hundred times, never noticed it before. Deuteronomy is a reiteration of the Levitical law just prior to them entering the promised land after they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. And he says this to them as, he's, as, as there's a renewal of the covenant, and he's reminding them that their disobedience is what caused them to have to wander around in the desert for 40 years before they could go in and have the promised land. That, that's the point I was trying to make, is that the other nations were watching Israel and this, this, this presence of God was just for Israel, and the other nations were witnessing how God was interacting with them. And they, then they, so they are, anytime they were disobedient, the power of God was not resting on their lives. Anytime they were walking in o- obedience and not rebelling against the covenant, then the power of God was moving and they were conquering t- territory. But this is interesting in this old covenant with God the Father as he's speaking to the covenant with the people, the covenant of the law. In verse, um, the second part of verse uh, 2, we'll start in verse 2. He says, Moses summoned all the Israelites and he said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land." With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. With your own eyes, you saw. You saw the plagues. You saw how God delivered you. You saw it with your physical eyes. But he says this, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. So everybody who sees the move of God happening doesn't really get it. The fact of the matter is, is that chances are great that not everybody in this room has ears to hear the voice of God. Not everybody in this room today has eyes to see the move of God. They see things happen, and they don't recognize actually what God is doing. Then there are others in here who have been transformed by the power of the Spirit, and what that means is you have eyes to see. 
You have ears to hear. You can recognize the voice of God, and it is familiar to you in its cadence as my voice is familiar to my children in its cadence. And you know when God is speaking to you about something you shouldn't be doing. You know when God is speaking to you about something you should be doing. You know when God is rebuking you. You know when God is challenging you. You know when God has said you should do something, you didn't do it, and you should have, and now you have regret. Because you know the voice of God because you have ears to hear and eyes to see. And the more familiar you become with that and the more intimate you are with your relationship with him, the deeper you understand or the greater your ability to recognize the voice of God. So, for instance, a lot of you hear me preach and you know my voice that way. Sometimes people, I think, uh, and this used to be really bad when I was younger, man. I'd just be loaded, just a fireball, and I'd just come out, man, with the truth. and It'd just come out of me, like, just... And people were intimidated to go have lunch with me because they thought that's how it would be at lunch. <laughs> and so that's not like it's a, I, I, it's a different, like right now is the, is the voice of God coming out of me through the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel. Okay, so that's a cadence. And, but you don't know me. Some of you don't because we haven't been together, time together. You don't know what my voice is like outside of this room. And some of you do, because you've spent time with me outside of this room. Some of you know what my voice is like when we have a meal together. Some of you know what my voice is like when we do all kinds of things together. And the ones of you who know my voice better know me better. And it's the same with the, the Lord. You, he talks to us, and the more intimate we become with him, the more familiar his voice is with us so that we are not confused and easily led astray by some evil voice that is manifesting itself as an angel of light and guiding us down a path that has nothing to do with truth, but makes us feel warm and fuzzy on the side, on the inside, and so we just know it must be God. Not so. If you are confused and following a lie, the enemy has no reason to disrupt your life because you are a POW that is giving him no trouble. Just keep you right where you're at. Don't disturb you. Just leave you alone. Let's go mess with the people that are about to disrupt hell. That's how the enemy thinks. That's what warfare is like. And so we have to be able to be familiar with the voice of God so that we can Live, but not only do we live and come to life spiritually, we follow. And that's where the familiarity has to be there for us to be able to follow what the Lord is asking us to do. Jesus goes on to teach about this in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 and verse 27. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
If you drop down into verse 27, and there's so much there that I could, I could teach on, but, but for the sake of time, let's look at verse 27. He's, he repeats it, and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He says he knows us by name, and his sheep know him by name. And so there's an intimacy there. There is no other teaching like this on the planet. You can look at any other teaching. The Muslim faith, Buddhism, anything else you want to, you will not find anything remotely close to this. It is the only one. Christianity has no equal, has no um, comparison when it comes to what it teaches about God, how God interacts with human beings, the freedom that comes into our lives. Every other religion is about earning your way and pleasing this demanding being. But Christianity is about a being who comes and sacrifices himself. And when we enter into a relationship with us, he teaches us how to walk in such a way that he can please us. He doesn't go, you please me, you please me. That's what every other religion teaches. He says, come here, let me show you how to walk, and I will please you. It's wild. It's, it's crazy. It's Christianity. Nothing else like it. When we come to life, we learned this last week. When we come to life, then the voice reminds, he guides, and he makes things known. What's amazing is that this can happen between two or more people simultaneously. This is why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so two people can have hear from the voice of God simultaneously when they're not together or when they are together. That's why we worship. We don't worship because we like music. We worship because when we come together and we sing about these songs of truth and we think about God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, the sinners that have been cleansed by his grace and we've come to life, we're celebrating the life, the eternal life that we have here and now and that we are planning on living there and then. And so we come alive and we sing and, and we the spirit moves in the room in the hearts of the believer. And some people come in and go, ah, it's music. Ah. You wonder, like, maybe you don't have ears to hear. And maybe it feels that way. And I get it. I get it. Like, it, it, but, but if you are walking in this relationship, you probably have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. And so it can happen in a room together, but it can ha- also happen when the interaction between two people that advances the kingdom of Jesus and they're different locations or they're, 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 they're not in a worship setting like we, I just described, then what we see is a synergy taking place spiritually from God the Holy Spirit. Now, it happens when two people listen to the voice and follow. Sometimes it's offensive, meaning sometimes the voice speaks to two people and they hear and they respond, and it's to claim greater kingdom territory. Just like when the ark moved, it was to claim greater um, physical territory for the nation of Israel. And so now it's about not the promised land, but the promised life. And then it'll all come together in the end when Jesus returns, and he will put all this together, and we will enjoy it for eternity. But 
but sometimes it's on the offensive. At other times, it's on the defensive. It's either advancing the kingdom or protecting us from losing ground. So sometimes the Spirit of God will speak um, to a person, and, and he'll hear his voice, and he'll hear another voice, and and, and they know we should not do this. There's a lack of peace in this. The Holy Spirit is not giving me peace in this. And so we, we back off the decision. And we want unity because we know, man, that maybe this person is hearing something that I, the Lord hasn't spoken to me. And so we, we listen to one another in those moments. Now, this is exciting to know that God is speaking. God, God's speaking. He's, he's speaking all the time. He never sleeps. He doesn't need sleep. He's not a human. So he's speaking all the time. And this thing is in motion. And so he's speaking when we're shopping. He's speaking when we're playing. He's speaking when we're working. He's speaking all the time. He's speaking right now to some of you through the foolishness of this preaching thing. He, he's speaking to people in Price Chopper right now. He's speaking to people um, that are who knows where. He's speaking. Like he's speaking to a guy who's on a lake right now fishing. Another guy said, amen. <laughs> he's always speaking. The question is, can we hear him? Do we actually hear the voice of God? So last week we looked at this, this kind of synergy that took place with Philip and this Ethiopian guy, and how God led him, and this Ethiopian guy becomes a follower of Jesus and a missionary to Ethiopia. What's interesting is right after that, in Acts chapter 9, I'm not going to read through the text. You can read it this week. I'm going to paraphrase the story. But Acts chapter 9, 1 through like verse 20, we have two people hearing the voice of God and following. One of them's more intense than the other, but both intense nonetheless. And this is the story of the a guy by the name in Acts, you'll see him as Saul. And some of you maybe have never heard this story or it's your first time in church and it can get confusing because there's a dominant character in the Old Testament named Saul. Then there's this guy in the New Testament named Saul. And sometimes it says Saul and then it says Paul and you can get all that mixed up. Well, this is the New Testament guy and he's known as Saul and he hates Jesus and the church. Like he's a part of the crew that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. They thought Jesus was a blasphemer. He's a good dude for, for an Israelite. The Israelites look at him and think, man, this guy is awesome. Like he loves the law. He loves the Old Testament law. He knows God the Father, but he was confused. He was mixed up. He was very zealous, and he was going around. As a matter of fact, in chapter 8, it ends with the stoning of Stephen, who was the first Christian that was martyred for believing in Jesus. Paul is the guy who gives the thumbs up and says, execute Stephen. And then they all scatter, and the church scatters, and that's why Philip went down that desert road, and, and the gospel moved into Ethiopia. Well, when they scatter, Paul develops a plan that he's going to pursue them. He's going to stamp this thing out. He is on a mission to stamp this whole Jesus movement out. And so he gets letters from the high priest to be able to go into Damascus and arrest what is known as people of the way. We weren't called Christians at this time. They just called them people of the way. Why would they call them people of the way? Because they lived the way Jesus did. And they were, just, they were people of the way. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and he's going to um, find the Christians because there were a group of believers who had scattered there 
after the persecution broke out and, and he had heard about them and he's going to go round them out and he's going to stamp this out. It'd be like he's going to Overland Park and, and there's something special happening at OPCC. We're going to get all of those people. We're going to arrest them. We're stamping out that movement. That's kind of the mindset Paul had. So Paul's got it all. He's thinking it all through, man. He's, he's like, he thinks he's on mission for God. He's riding on his donkey down the, you know, 169. And he's just thinking. And all of a sudden, bam, a bright light hits him and knocks him off his donkey. And he knows all of those stories about Moses and the burning bush and everything he's read about and memorized in the Old Testament law. And all of a sudden, he knows without a shadow of the doubt, he's encountered this God. <laughs> and so he, he begins to ask this God when he... Um, is knocked off his donkey, and he's on this mission. The, this God actually asks him the first question. He says, why do you persecute me? He, says, they don't, he doesn't say, why do you persecute my people? This is how we know God, the Spirit is God. Like, why do you, because when the people of God have the Spirit of God, it's like when we're persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. Why do you persecute me? And, 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 and Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. This is Paul's worst nightmare. The thing that he was sold out to, the mission he was trying to stamp out was true, and he didn't even know it. And so he says, I'm Jesus. And then he tells him, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. That is what it is like to follow the Lord. You're going to get one piece of information, you do that thing, and you'll be told later, after you're obedient with that thing, I'll tell you the next thing you're supposed to do. It's like working through a wizard in software. You're loading an app on. You can't get that app on unless you hit, I agree. And you're never going to get the voice of God in your life until you say, I agree. I surrender all rights to myself. And then it says, well, you got to fill this out, and then you click next, and then you click next, and then you click next. But you got to work through each step, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He said, get up and go, and I will tell you what you are to do. So he stands up. He's speechless. The light had blinded him. It was a miraculous encounter with Jesus. The men he was traveling with led him into the city. In Damascus, there was a guy by the name of Ananias. He is a disciple of the Lord. He heard the voice. Paul is knocked off his donkey by the Lord, is spoken to. Ananias is, the, Ananias is probably who Paul had targeted, the leader of the movement in Damascus. Ananias, the voice says, yes, Lord, go to Judas's house and ask for Saul. He is praying, and I have told him that you will come and pray for him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias says, say what? It's crazy. Go to the guy who's responsible for killing Christians and pray for him that he would receive his sight. Are you sure, Lord? Don't you know, Lord? <laughs> this is so funny. Um, Lord, that dude's crazy. He's come to Damascus to arrest everyone who calls on your name as if the Lord didn't know it. He's encountering the voice of God to speaking to him and he's in an argument. And that's, that's what it'll be like to follow the Lord. Like if the Lord asks you to do something and it feels crazy, you're going to be like, man, Lord, are you sure about this? Let's just think of the absurdity of that question. <laughs> 
If the Lord is the one who's speaking to us about it, he's sure. And we can trust what he's asking. And he says, I've chosen this man. He's a chosen instrument of mine, and I'm doing something amazing. So Ananias got up, and he went to the house, and he walks in. Now think of Paul. Paul's sitting in the dark. All he knows is he's been counted a divine being. It says he's Jesus, and his whole life is upside down. He's been traveling in his, this career path. He's on his way to be a member uh, of the Sanhedrin and working his way to the top. He's on mission as a young man. He, he is a bright, upcoming star, and everything he has worked for has just been turned on its head. He's sitting there. He can't even see. The Lord has stripped him of his physical sight. He's alone. It's a dark room. It's, he's in the dark, and he's just rehearsing. What am I going to do now? Like, I've just encountered, like, if I go back and tell the people that gave me the letters to come and do this, they're going to kill me. If I go and try to connect with the people that I was on my way to arrest, they're not going to trust me. I'm hopeless. I'm alone. I've got nobody. Brother Saul, man, I've had things like this happen. Like, it's Ananias. Saul can't see him. The Lord has told me to come and pray for you that you might receive your sight. He's in the dark. And the voice spoke to another disciple. And the disciple comes in. He's terrified. And then he sees everything that God told him is spot on. He comes over. He doesn't know what any of it means. He's just following the Lord. He lays hands on him. He prays for him. And the scripture says that something like scales fell off of Paul's eyes. And he received. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went from death to life. Immediately, he regained his sight because he not only had, this is something the Lord is teaching us, he not only, the physical sight was to teach us just a metaphor for what God was doing, man. Like, I do believe he was blind, but it was, the more important miraculous lesson is now he has physical or spiritual eyes to see the truth of God. He was walking in a lie, and he thought he was doing everything good, but he was totally rebelling everything against God. He had missed that Jesus was the Messiah, and so all of a sudden he has spiritual sight. He has ears to hear. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets baptized, and it says that he starts teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. He became one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known. Now, what's going on here? Like, you know, there's a great story, man, great story. How do we apply all this? Here are three things, rapid fire. The voice usually tells us to get up and go. He told that to, to uh, uh, Philip, get up and go down the desert road. He told that to Ananias, get up and go. He told that to Paul, get up and go, and he will tell it to you. He tells it to me. Get up and go. Get up and go do this. I had the experience, Tara, she's getting baptized next week, and, and we're excited for her. And she 
Call and send me an email. Said, I'd like to visit. When do you have time to talk? I got some time right now. So I called her. He said, the Lord is telling me to get up and get baptized. I said, get up and go, man. I said, get up and go. And the Lord will tell you all kinds of things, man. He will say, get up and go do this. And it could be anything. But he will, listen, he will speak to you and you can hear his voice. Following the voice is an adventure. <laughs> it's an absolute insane adventure. Paul is in the dark. Ananias is terrified. And God is doing amazing things. And, and I'm telling you, man, the more you can get in touch with the voice, some of the crazier things that he will ask you to do, which is why it, people won't surrender in the first place, but that's the very thing that makes Christianity so fun. So if you're a believer that will never surrender to the Lord, you are one of the most miserable people on the planet because you can't really hear the voice of God because you won't do the first thing that he asks you to do, so you're still stuck on, first, on, on one, and everybody else has loaded the operating system on the device of their lives, and now they're putting all kinds of apps on and enjoying life, and you're stuck back here trying to get the operating system on. You've come alive, but you're not living. It's like, you have to understand, man, he will ask you to do crazy things, but that's the point, man, is like he is a God who is alive that is interacting with us and will send us on mission to do different kinds of things. Here's the third takeaway. The voice speaks to bring about breakthrough. That's why he does it. The church's greatest opposition changed teams, just like that. The church went from being in hiding to not having any kind of worries. As a matter of fact, if you go on to read that, it says that, that Paul ends up going back to Jerusalem because the, 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 the Jewish people are trying to arrest him while he's in Damascus. They lower him outside the wall in a basket. He goes back to Jerusalem, causes some problems there. And then the Lord sends him on a preparatory sabbatical for three years he's going to study. And it says the church had peace. And the, church, the Lord gave him peace for a while. And then things broke out and fell apart later. And so we see that God is always bringing about a breakthrough, and that's the purpose of the voice telling us to get up and go, the voice taking us on an adventure. He's always trying to bring about breakthrough. And so you would ask, well, does, this, does the voice still speak like this? Does this kind of this spiritual synergy that you're describing still take place? I hear the voice all the time. All the time. I hear the voice leading me and what I'm supposed to um, uh, preach on and teach on for you guys. I spend lots of time, more than anything else um, uh, that I do in preparation for the word, is just talk to God about where we're supposed to be. And, and he, he leads me. But he talks to me in all kinds of ways. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I got sick. And I had to call Shay and like, man, I... I uh, I got the coronavirus, man. You're going to have to take care of things. Last minute, I had a fever. It was bad. And so Shay, went, like, he was like, he responded back in the text thread about what he was going to preach on. And I, I responded and sent him a text and said, Ben, I, I don't think you should do that. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't feel like it's the right time. And there was some tension between us. Not like bad. There's never really that much tension between us, but there was some, and I could feel it because I was worried about, because I wouldn't, and normally I don't care anything he preaches about. Like I, I trust him with my life, right? I wouldn't care and I trust him with the congregation, but I could tell, I could tell, look, the Lord was leaning into me. It's not the right time. And so I, 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 I said, man, like, 
I don't think it's the right time. And he even said, man, you can trust me with this. I got this. I said, it's nothing about trust. Like the Lord is like, like I could tell something. It's about timing. And so he obliges. And one of the things I love about Shay is he walks in humility, man. He and Molly both. And so he obliges and he teaches on something he doesn't really want to teach on. And that's hard to do, man, when you got something that you feel is kind of burning in you. Later that week, we had a discussion. And the Lord, it was so clear, we were kind of both blown away. The Lord was protecting us from something. The, the voice spoke to him, be humble in this moment. The voice spoke to me, tell him even though you don't want to, that you don't think he should. And we were protected from something. It wasn't going to be anything awful, but it was going to be something that was going to distract us that we didn't have time for because of what the Lord is doing. And so like this kind of stuff happens all the time. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I was in a dead sleep at three o'clock in the morning, man. The Lord just woke me up. Boom. And immediately two names jumped into my head. Craig Rochelle, he's the pastor of Life Church I have a relationship with. And the Lord told me, you need to pray for him. And Cliff Kingsbury. I don't even know who that was. Like I had to Google him the next day. He said, so I got up and I went in the living room and I prayed for Craig Rochelle and I prayed for Cliff Kingsbury only to find out the next day that he was the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. You see, you're crazy, man. You really think God, yes, I think, I know he did. I know he did. And let me tell you why I take it so seriously. I, now, sometimes I have dreams and I, I wake up and I don't get up and pray, but I can tell, man, I'm familiar enough with the voice of the Lord to know when he's waking me up in a moment and he wants me to go pray and I'll go spend some time in prayer. And there have been times, there was a time when I did not do this that I know the Lord was calling me to pray. In 2013 on Father's Day, a couple of weeks before, my brother Jeff, you guys have never met Jeff, he is so full of life um, and just a great dude. And uh, he was kind of struggling. And he started calling me at like 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. He was living in Oklahoma. I was living here. It's like he knows I got to get ready for church. I'm focused on Why is he calling me at 6 o'clock in the morning? And at first I felt perturbed. I was like, well, I take the call. And I talked to him, we talked a little bit, and then he did it again the next week. Like, this is weird. He keeps calling me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, then he didn't do it for a couple of weeks. And come Father's Day 2013, I'm in, I'm in a dead sleep, about 4.30 in the morning, man. I wake up from a nightmare, and all I can see is, is this, this, this bloody image of a person. And it's like the person doesn't have any skin. It was terrible. Like, I was boom, 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 boom. And I thought... And, and, the person, and I was trying to say something about Jesus, but I couldn't get the words out. And I kind of sat there and calmed down for a minute. And, and uh, I was like, looked at the phone. I was like, nah, I could still sleep for another hour or so and have plenty of time. Thought about getting up and praying, but I didn't. Got up, my normal time, came to church, preached the word. Great service. Went home for Father's Day. Abby had cooked me a nice meal. I had my family around the table. And I get a, a text 
for my niece that my brother was there on the way to the hospital. He tried to kill himself. And so I, I called and made connection with my brother, my younger brother, and um, he said he would, they would let me know. There was nothing I could do. I had to just sit there and wait. About an hour and a half later, I get a text. He's gone. And I learned later that at 5 o'clock in the morning, my brother went in the garage, locked himself in, and started his mowers. And the Lord was trying to wake me up, man. And I didn't listen. And so now when the Lord wakes me up and I feel like it's him waking me up, I'll get up and pray for anybody. I don't feel responsible for what my brother did, but I do often wonder if I had gotten up and went into the living room and prayed, would he have said, you need to call Jeff? And could I have been Ananias to my brother when he was in darkness? And so when the, like, I don't, like, I take it serious. And I see the Lord sometimes, he's moving in those ways. And sometimes, like, I just, like, all my life, man, since I have surrendered to the Lord, he's just moved, and I've just become more and more familiar with his voice. And so here's the deal. I'm here because the voice spoke to me. That's why I'm here pastoring this church. The Lord sent me here on mission. And what he wants us to do will require that you guys forget about the crap in the world and listen to the voice. And you'll find life. And we'll see things that we would just stand back and go in awe of the Lord. So the big idea is listen to and follow the voice. Let's get up and go, and let's experience breakthrough. I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer. The Lord is speaking to you today. Could be that you need to become more sensitive to his voice. Could be that you know there's something that's next that he's asking you to do that you haven't done. It could be a moment in time where he's knocking you off your donkey. And he's trying to say hello. Like, you've been getting close, but this is, this is who I am. My name is Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you trying to live without me? And so there's a simple surrender that you have, to, you have to walk through, and then it's learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's the rest of your life. 
And so I would encourage you to take some time to pray if that's what the Lord is asking for. Take some time to commit whatever it is. And if, man, if you want to know more, you're here and you're like, I want to know more about following Jesus. You just fill out a card and say, I want to know more about following Jesus. And we will, we will reach out to you and we will help you on that journey. We will help you to know what it means to follow Jesus. But today, like the altars are open, Sean will play. If you want to come forward and pray or you want me or Shay to pray with you, you can come up here and grab us. And, and if not, like maybe it's a lunch thing, okay? This is not like this one-time decision. This is a selling out your life to the gospel of the good news of Christ. And so I'm going to pray over you and turn the service over to Sean and just pray that you would listen to and follow the voice. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people. These people, Lord, that have become affectionately known as OPCC, people of the way. (laughs) And I pray, Lord, that if there's one here who needs to join the way, they've never surrendered their lives to you, that today would be their spiritual birthday. They would move, cross over from death to life. And Lord, if there are others here who have been holding back on something they need to let go, that Lord, you would give them the courage to let go and step into the adventure and begin to experience breakthrough in their lives. Thank you for all of these people, Lord. Thank you for how you're moving. I love you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.